Lord, I'm very grateful to be a part of this church, one small expression of your large capital C church. You've brought so many people here. You've deepened our faith. You've brought some to saving faith, even through the ministry of this church all over the world. For that, we rejoice. But Lord, like any church, if we don't abide in you, if we don't continue to listen and obey your word, we will drift, and we pray you would have mercy to keep us from doing that. That we would hold up this holy word and believe every word of it. That we would expect to be transformed continually, day after day, by your new mercies. And Lord, as you open your word to us, we know that apart from the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, we could never be changed. We would never be astonished. So please have mercy and do that very work today. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Stand now for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 1. The text in your bulletin goes through verse 34, but I am going to only read through verse 28, saving the remaining verses for next week. Hear now from Mark 1, 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately they, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We, as a people, have an authority problem. And I'm not just talking about the absence of respect of authority that we see on TV. I'm not just speaking about rulers throughout history who have abused power and others who have been passive. I'm talking about the human condition in which all of us, me, you, all who have ever been created, have an authority issue. And the authority issue centers on the fact that we do not want to submit to another authority. So the problems that any people have ever encountered in the history of the world, from small to large, all find themselves in this issue of authority. Sometimes it's macro, and sometimes it's very micro and specific and intimate. It's a child saying at a young age, you're not the boss of me. And it's adults at an older age not saying it, but thinking it for sure. Authority is the reason the fall took place. Satan himself wanting the glory and authority that only was deserving of the God who created him fell. And with him, legions of other angels, now demons, fell too. 
all because of an authority issue. The fall of man was an authority issue. The very first question in the Bible is from Satan. It's not from God. Satan's question is to Adam and Eve. He speaks and says, did God really say? It's a question of authority. Eve responds and says, this is what God says. She knew what God said, but the issue of authority and the temptation overcame her. And Satan who fell, now in the form of a serpent, tempted her and tempted Adam, and they too fell. Their sin, the original sin, the fall, has affected every human being born since, except Christ. Christ is a full human being. but That seed did not pass to him. The fall affected all of us. That's why at such a young age, you begin to see the fall and the reality of the fall in your children's lives. Selfishness, defiance, and it doesn't go away. They may gain better behavior, but even as adults, we too have an authority issue. That's why it's so important constantly for Christians to ask the question, who am I listening to? Who is the authority in my life? And for believers, we have one authority, one ultimate authority, and that is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his living word. The reason I start with authority is because it was the authority of Jesus in his teaching that astonished the people. It was his authority over the demon that had occupied the man, the demoniac, that astonished them. But why? Look with me at verse 21. It says, and they, that's Simon, Andrew, James, and John, the first four disciples that Jesus calls, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that's Jesus and those men, entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, a synagogue is not a temple. It only required 10 Jewish males, 13 or older, to assemble a synagogue. Capernaum was a very bustling town, strong fishing industry. Some of you have been there. It's possible that the site where there's a synagogue now was where Jesus was standing. It certainly would be a different one way back then. But 2,000 years ago, he entered a synagogue somewhere in that location. It would have been Saturday, and he would have been fulfilling an invitation that often took place, where a visiting rabbi or scribe would come and they would teach. But no one had ever taught like Jesus. And it wasn't because he had crafty illustrations or just an incredible sense of the language. He's Jesus. His sermon is perfect, but it was something more. The scribes who taught Saturday after Saturday, Sabbath after Sabbath, did not teach like Jesus. They actually would simply quote the authority of other scribes before them. They certainly were bright and understood the Old Testament, but they didn't come with the same authority. Jesus wasn't quoting anyone except possibly his father, possibly the Old Testament prophets. But he was not quoting another human. He was teaching as one who had an authority that was far different than anything they'd ever seen. And they were captivated. To understand the significance of authority, let's define it. I'm going to give you four definitions. These are not mine. 
They're taken from a dictionary, which claims to be an authority. Here's the definitions. Authority, the power to give orders and make people obey you. Second definition, authority, a person or organization that has official power. In other words, they've been commissioned, they can act a certain way because they've been given that power. Third, authority, a recognized knowledge or expertise. We'll say this doctor is an authority or this individual is an authority in, and we want those people serving us to have authority, to be knowledgeable. Last definition, authority, a person or book that is trusted as a source of knowledge. As a Christian, in our tradition, we say and teach that this book is not just a source of authority. We say that it is the rule for life and practice for all who are in Christ. This is our authority. This is what we stand on. We rip no pages out. We don't make comments about them that dilute them or, or water them down. We stand on the very word of God because we believe that is exactly what it is. When Jesus entered into the synagogue, when he began to speak, they immediately recognized that he is different. At this point, they wouldn't have known so much about what he had done or would do. His ministry was beginning. And we are not told anything that he says by Mark in this sermon. We're simply told that they recognized his authority and were astonished with what they heard. Now, astonished is a word that Mark loves. The word doesn't mean just this sense of euphoria and awe. It actually means to be thunderstruck. It means to see something and hear something so great that you actually have terror. You are shocked and in awe of what you're hearing and what you're seeing. So every person present that day, however many there were in that synagogue, the word tells us they were astonished. So astonished that they began to spread the fame of Jesus. They weren't, they weren't astonished, though, just by the teaching of Jesus. They were also astonished because of the disruption. Indeed, as they heard Jesus teach, they were having a disruption in their own soul. But then there became a, a physical, loud disruption. A man possessed by an evil spirit, a demon, which is a real thing, the Word of God tells us that, began to speak. And here's what he said. Look with me at verse 24. The demon speaks. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Occasionally, in a worship service, we'll have a disruption. Most of the time, it's a medical issue. And there are a lot of doctors in our church, which I'm so grateful for, who will tend to whoever has need. And the rest of us will pray. Sometimes there are other disruptions, an organ key gets stuck. That happened at the nine o'clock service a couple weeks ago. It's loud, hard to get around. Don't know why it happened, but it did. Sometimes there are disruptions by someone that's just fidgeting. I want you to know children are not disruptions. Okay, 
how people respond to children being disruptions might be disruptive, but they're part of our body. And especially now, they're welcome. Children, you are welcome. Now, there might be moments you have to exit. You'll know when that is. But this disruption is not like anything that's ever happened in our church. A possessed man is in that synagogue. Why? I don't know if he was regularly there or just on this particular Saturday, but he's there and he speaks the demon because he recognizes the one who's teaching and he himself is astonished. He is terrorized by the presence of Christ. What's interesting is how the, the, the demon speaks. Again, let me read verse 24. What have you to do with us? Us. Who's he talking about? Is the demon just talking about himself and the man's body that he has indwelled? Is he talking about the rest of the worshipers there in the synagogue? Is he talking about all demons and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked? Is that who he's talking about? We don't know. But it's definitely us. He does something else that's very interesting. He says, have you come to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are. Now imagine you're in the synagogue and you're hearing this man speak. I know who you are the Holy One of God. This is really significant because in antiquity, when there was a conflict between two people, if you knew the name of the one you were in conflict with and you would say it, it was as if you had the upper hand. This demon, in dealing with Jesus, is seeking to have the upper hand by calling his name. I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. Friends, remember, Satan and the demons know who Christ is. Before those present, the demon knew. Interesting also that in cases of ordinary sickness in Mark's gospel, leprosy, paralysis, other forms of illness, when the people see Jesus, they call him Lord teacher, son of David, master. But when the demons encounter Jesus, they say, holy one of God, the son of God, the son of the most high God. The demons recognized Jesus for who he was. And this demon did specifically Though he tries to get the upper hand, in verse 25, we are told that Jesus rebukes him, saying, be silent and come out of him. The word here means to muzzle. It literally means put a muzzle on one making noise. Think of a dog barking or wanting to bite. Jesus' words meant muzzle it. Now, what's amazing is it's the very same word Jesus is going to use when the disciples are on the boat on the raging sea. He's going to stand up and he's going to muzzle the storm. 
Jesus Christ is a disruptive force. The enemy, here in the presence of this man, indwelling this man, which is also interesting, remember, Satan is always imitating God. He wants his authority, and he seeks to indwell this man, just like the Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus rebukes the demon, and the demon responds to his authority. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him, muzzle him. And the unclean spirit convulsing the man was crying out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they, those in the synagogue, were all amazed. Now, as they were amazed, it says they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. What a day in that synagogue. Every time we gather for church, that same battle exists. Satan was not only active in this one man's life. He was active in all the people in that synagogue. Paul tells us, and I quoted it just a minute ago, of all people, all created people, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Those other people, not just the demoniac, were enslaved to Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Jesus, the disrupting force through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, is the only one, he's the only one that can interrupt and cause a heart that would never beat for God to suddenly beat for God. And that's what was happening here. But just knowing about Jesus and even being astonished by what he did and what he said is not enough. The question that they asked, what is this? What is this new teaching and with authority? Will soon be replaced by a different question. And it's the most important question a man or a woman can ever face. What is this? A new teaching with authority will soon be replaced with, who is this? Who is this man that muzzles the sea? Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey? And that one's asked by the disciples. Today, if you are in Christ, it's because there was a moment in your life when the Holy Spirit disrupted you. Whether you were five or 15 or 25 or 55 or older, when you came to saving faith, there was a work of the Spirit in your soul that illuminated your heart and mind to believe the truth about yourself 
that you were enslaved to the evil kingdom of Satan and that the way to be set free was in Christ alone. And if you're in Christ, when you heard those words at that moment of irresistible grace, of illumination, of his indwelling work, you said, I believe. You were astonished. Whether it was real emotional or not isn't the point. You were astonished to the point of saying, I must receive Jesus. He alone can save me. Today may be that day for some of you. If it was another day in the past, friends, may God never let us get over that. May the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, not be just a catchy tune, but a reality that without the blood of Christ and that illuminating work of the Spirit, none of us would believe. We may be astonished. We might even go tell people about what we saw and heard, but we're not saved. We're saved when we come to the point of coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I am no longer my own authority. I'm surrendering to the one who's the ultimate authority. Now I want to end by telling you a story. And children, I told you that I was going to mention a flashlight again. But the flashlight isn't going to be a blue flashlight. It looks like this. But it does have to do with my dad and someone else. In my mid-20s, my dad had a heart issue. Some bacteria had gotten in his body and had eaten away at the mitral valve of his heart. They weren't sure what the infection was, and they knew they had to find that first so that they could then operate and replace the mitral valve. It took a number of weeks. While he was in the hospital, my uncle, my crazy Uncle Carol, the one I mentioned at Thanksgiving occasionally, he also went to the hospital. He too had a heart issue. His heart was so bad because of unhealthy living that they said to him, there's nothing more we can do for your heart. But he was right down the room, three doors from my dad. Imagine my mom. He was, you know, one of her three brothers. One had already died. Now her second brother doesn't look good. And her husband is in the hospital. I knew that I needed to tell my dad about Jesus. So instead of walking in with the flashlight, holding it up because he was doing work on a car, I took the word of God because I wasn't sure where my dad stood. My dad had grown up in the church. He would say things about Jesus occasionally. He was a very good man, a moral man. That was his problem. He didn't really see the need for a savior. So I went in that day and I took my Bible and I told my dad what I'm telling you about this carpenter's son, this savior, this friend of sinners, this man who went into a synagogue and began to teach them and people were astonished. And by the end of that time, my dad professed faith in Christ. And I was confident that he would go home one day to see Jesus and he would live many more years. But what I didn't expect was to walk out of the hospital room my dad was in and turn to the right and see my crazy uncle in his gown looking down the hall at me. And he said, Mark, come here. I went to him. I loved him. Went in the room and he said, they tell me I've got a bad heart and they can't fix it. I want you to tell me about Jesus. 
And so I did. I held up the same light, the same word, the same flashlight, and I said, Uncle Carol, there's only one way that God has prescribed for us to be saved. That is to confess your sins, to repent and believe that he alone can save you. And we prayed. It was Good Friday. Saturday, my great, or my uncle, went home. On Sunday, he really went home. He died Easter morning. Two days before he died, the Holy Spirit illuminated his heart and mind, bringing him to the end of himself, where he would say, I've not lived a good life. I don't deserve this. I need a savior. Jesus, save me. My dad was the opposite. He had lived a good life, but he needed the same savior because none of us are saved by our good works. That's what is so astonishing about the gospel. Friends, Jesus Christ entered that synagogue to proclaim that his kingdom had come and that he's king. 2,000 plus years later, we're in a sanctuary full of people who believe that same truth and thousands others who are worshiping online. The doors of this church are one day gonna open in a fashion like we've known in the past. And when they do, I see you bringing neighbors, friends, coworkers, family members, classmates, and even enemies to this place where we promise one another and God above all to hold out Jesus, to extend Christ and to exert ourselves to the utmost to that end because there is no other name, no other authority by which people are saved and there never will be. If you are saved, rejoice in that grace. That same Savior that went into that synagogue, that delivered that man, has redeemed you. And that is astonishing. Just knowing who he is isn't enough. Even the demons know that. Even the demons know that. Resting in him alone for your salvation, repenting and believing that is the way of salvation. Who is this man? I hope today he has disrupted your soul. And in doing so, that you find yourself very secure. If you don't, but you want to be, don't hesitate to talk to the person you came with or someone that you think has already trusted Jesus or come and see Matt or myself. We would love to tell you or you can email us. Let's pray. It would have been amazing, Jesus, I think, to be present in that synagogue or to hear you when you walked upon the earth. But Lord, people who heard you, some were drawn and submitted 
and others despised you because your message was disruptive. Lord, take us to the end of ourselves so that we would only trust in one authority, you. Redeem us, Lord. Rescue those who have yet to find out who you are and trust in you. Rescue them even today and use this church and all of your church for your glory, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, our friend and our Savior. We pray in your holy name, Christ. Amen.